Hi, I'm Democratic strategist Allie Lapp. And I'm Republican strategist Liesl Hickey. Welcome to House Talk with Allie and Liesl, where we dig into U.S. House races and the fight for control in 2018. On today's show, we are going to focus on the state of Pennsylvania. There's a lot of exciting House races going on in Pennsylvania, including a special that we'll talk about. But also, Pennsylvania has got to be in an excited mood uh, as we head into this weekend and approach the Super Bowl. So we thought it was a good time to focus on the state as they get ready for their big game on Sunday. And we're all ready for all the big activity that's going to happen in Pennsylvania this election season. And joining us today is the national political correspondent for McClatchy, Alex Wordy. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. So, Alex, you have become a Pennsylvania expert, even though your Twitter bio very clearly says, contrary to popular belief, not from Pennsylvania. So, explain this. Most people do think I'm from Pennsylvania, but I actually, I grew up, I was born in Louisiana. I grew up in Houston, um, but I went to school at, at Lehigh, which is just about an hour north of Philadelphia, and then basically cut my teeth professionally right out of school. I was in Harrisburg. And... Through a series of three or four different jobs, basically covered Ed Rendell's second term in office. Um, Governor Rendell, fascinating public figure uh, to cover, especially for your first major public figure to cover as a journalist. And, and then did a lot of the state's political scene. Um, you know, and I worked for a website called politicspa.com where you know, the focus was on the gubernatorial races, the Senate races, but also the congressional races. And at that time in Pennsylvania, it seems like a long time ago now, it was actually, there were about 10 competitive congressional races in Pennsylvania. Uh, it was a state that just is so chock full of politics. Uh, so, you know, I, I will say I'm not from Pennsylvania. My parents, at least, are from Pittsburgh. So I do have some historical roots. The Rorties got off the boat from Ireland and Philadelphia. Eventually, they moved over to Pittsburgh. So I do have a lot of uh, a lot of history in the Keystone State. So that explains why you why you are normally a Steelers fan and not an Eagles fan. That's right. I'm I'm a big Steelers fan. I kind of wish I was an Eagles fan. Uh, I know now, but. Uh, They're you a know. fun team to watch right now. They are a fun team to watch, even without Carson Wentz. I know, I, I know. know. I saw a kid the other day with a Foles jersey on, which I thought was pretty awesome. I, it would it would be like kind of perfect for this, you know, like we've had all these unexpected things happen in the country lately. To have a Nick Foles-led Eagles team win the Super Bowl would seem like a perfect cap to all of that. That's who I'm rooting for. Absolutely. Well, great. Well, for those of, uh, of us who aren't Pennsylvania political experts, kind of describe the state as you see it now. I mean, the state, in my opinion, has always been sort of a very typical swing state. You were talking about how there were lots of congressional races. I mean, this was maybe not even 10 years ago that, that were uh, always up for grabs. But the state has changed somewhat politically. So, But what's your sort of 100,000-foot view of what Pennsylvania looks like? Well, I, always, I mean, I think Pennsylvania is so fascinating politically because it's basically two regions of the country in one state, right? You have the, basically the Philadelphia market, which is East Coast, a cell corridor. It's growing. It's thriving. The economy is doing well. Um, and then you have Pittsburgh and Western Pennsylvania, which, you know, whether that's Appalachia or the Midwest or the Rust Belt, you know, it's, it's a very different country. And it, it was always amazing to me when I would drive, you know, I lived in Harrisburg and you drive to Pittsburgh and it's just completely different. The feel is different. The homes look different. The geography is different and the people are different. And that's why you, you have this, this clash in these states and it's why it's always been this traditional swing state, you know, until actually Tom Corbett, the Republican governor, lost in 2014. There had been this rule in Pennsylvania politics that one party would control the governorship for eight years and then it would hand over to the other party. Um, and in fact, this happened even before 
when the governors only served one term, you know? So this, this dated back into the 60s. Um, but now, you know, the state, like a lot of states, you know, as we see maybe this broader realignment uh, in American politics, it's, it's in flux. You know, Donald Trump won it um, in 2016. He won it by a small margin, but, you know, Democrats had been confident, uh, really, really confident that a Republican simply couldn't win the presidential race in Pennsylvania. Right, and you know, I had one uh, consultant I talked to a lot who always compared it to Lucy in the football because you would have John McCain would make a late play or made a, a, a extended play in 2008 for the state. Mitt Romney made a late play in 2012, and they always fell considerably short. But what you had happen is, you know, again, you go back to those two different regions. You know, the western part of the state um, just collapsed for Hillary Clinton and collapsed in a way that a lot of people, I shouldn't say it, not it, some people saw it coming, but a lot of people didn't see it coming to the point where her gains in the Philadelphia suburbs or Philadelphia itself just wasn't enough to overcome it and really took a lot of Democrats by surprise. But what's also interesting about that part of the state is there are mostly registered Democrats out there that don't behave like what we would think of as traditional Democrats. That's that's exactly right. And the, the, this is like that Western Pennsylvania, those are like the Reagan Democrats, right? Traditionally, you know, through the 60s and 70s and 80s, these are people who voted Democrats, you know, union workers, blue collar, um, who always supported the Democratic Party, who started with Reagan, just vote Republican. And you've seen this over the course of basically the last 30 or 40 years, this transition where the eastern part of the state, you know, the Philadelphia suburbs used to be the sort of bedrock of the Republican Party, and the western part of the state was the bedrock of the Democratic Party. It has slowly transitioned, you know, to the point where it is the exact opposite now. And you, you saw that sort of accelerate. Ed Rendell, um, who I mentioned earlier, one of the reasons he was so successful, you know, he was this very popular mayor of Philadelphia, and he was able to accelerate this change in the Philadelphia suburbs where all of a sudden governor's races, you know, he cleaned up in places like Montgomery County or Chester County or Delaware County, you know. And, and it's, it is it's, it's this kind of fascinating change. And it had, you know, generally speaking, at the federal level really benefited Democrats um, seemingly the last few decades. Of course, again, that that changed very suddenly last year, and it's left a lot of Democrats wondering where, where their state is anymore. Well, let's dig right into some of the House races that are going to be uh, a focus point in, in Pennsylvania. So first off, we have a special election in Pennsylvania's 18th district. That is in the western part of the state. It border, it's, it's the, really the southwestern corner of the state. Um, so we're having this special election because Republican Tim Murphy admitted to a, uh, an affair and there are some allegations that he encouraged his mistress to have an abortion. So he resigned and now we've got a special election that will happen on March 14th. Obama uh, did not do well here and neither did Clinton. Obama got 41% here and Clinton got 38% here. And we didn't even have a Democratic candidate in 2016. So Alex, what's your assessment of this race as it stands right now? Do you think this is actually a competitive special election? I think it is. I think it is competitive. And I think we got some proof of that last week. Uh, the DCCC went on air uh, with a, a somewhat significant TV buy supporting uh, Connor Lamb. Usually they don't do that just for fun. That means they really think there is a chance. And, and the sort of the word on the street, if you will, is that a lot of polls have it as a single digit race. Uh, it does remind me a lot of a lot of the other special elections that we've had um, this election cycle. If you go back to the Kansas Four race or the Montana at large race or more, more, most famously the Georgia Six race where you had these districts that were tough for Democrats. And a couple of months before the election, all of a sudden people said, 
boy, you know, the Democratic candidate is much closer than we expected. And all of a sudden, there's a lot of national attention, a lot of money, and a lot of expectation raising for Democrats. Only for at the end of the day, you know, the district, in the Democrats' view, is just too tough, and they'll fall short like John Ossoff did or Rockquist did. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's where we might be in, in Pennsylvania. The question is, you know, of course, some time has passed since Georgia 6. You know, that was in June. We'll have about nine months between now and then. You know, the question is, has the political environment worsened uh, for Republicans? Or has it even gotten better since tax reform? You know, I mean, that's going to be kind of the, the big question. But, but for now, it looks like we do have, like, for the next six weeks, uh, a real race on our hands to, to watch and cover. And I think part of the reason Democrats are getting excited about the race is that they like their candidate quite a bit. We have a guy named Connor Lamb running who's a young outsider, military veteran, um, and they seem very enthused about him. On the other hand, I think the Republican candidate is not the best candidate out there. You may have more insight into this, Alex. He's a state legislator, um, and I've heard that he's not the most dynamic candidate. He's, he's not. I mean, there are a lot of Republicans who are concerned about him. The, the GOP had a, a convention to pick their candidate. Um, and sometimes, and this would be true of both parties, you don't always get the strongest candidate to emerge out of there because it's just a smaller group of people who are making the decision. And in this case, I know there were a lot of Republicans in Western Pennsylvania who were very upset that they picked uh, Rick Saccone, who was a, just a state representative over, you know, a pair of state senators, for instance. Um, you know, I mean, Rick is, uh, the, the word is, his fundraising has not been good to start with. Uh, and you've seen reports where, you know, he's even been called out on the carpet by the Trump White House to, to pick up his fundraising. He's not a, a very dynamic presence. You know, he has a, a sort of hard edge um, when it comes to social conservatism. When he was in the Pennsylvania House, he sponsored uh, the quote-unquote year of the Bible in Pennsylvania in 2012. You know, and, and, and that might not be really all that much of a drawback in, in Western PA, but he is also anti-union. And I know that that comes up um, a lot in conversations where, again, we were just talking about how this sort of old school Western Pennsylvania, you know, it is Republican, but there is still some support for unions, that they still support that. And in fact, Tim Murphy, um, who resigned, you know, had support of unions. One of the reasons he didn't even have an opponent in 2016. You know, so that's giving Connor Lamb a little bit of a boost. And like you mentioned, Ali, you know, he's not John Ossoff, right? And, and no, no disrespect to John Ossoff, but he was about 30 years old. Um, he, he hadn't uh, been in the district. He had been working in Washington. You know, he just didn't have the same profile as Connor Lamb, uh, you know, a military veteran, uh, the prosecutorial background. You know, Democrats really think that they finally have found a candidate. You know, the kind of candidate they think they hope will emerge in a lot of Democratic primaries the rest of the year, you know, who, who can win over those kind of middle of the ground voters. Uh, so right now we have the both party committees, like you said, are engaged in this race. The DCCC is up on TV. Uh, the NRCC is up on TV. The outside groups um, on the Republican side are up on TV. And actually, uh, in a district that Trump won by, I think it was almost 20, or it was 20, we have... Um, you know, a lot of outside spending going on in a district that you would think would be pretty easy Republican win. And a lot of the advertising is actually positive advertising for the Republican Rick Saccone. I mean, obviously there's negative advertising, which we should talk about in a minute, um, about Connor Lamb and a lot of it talking about how um, he's a sheep, yeah, <laughs> which has been a lot of animal imagery. <laughs> <in> the <laughs> ads. Fun to watch. This is a Pelosi sheep, yes. But yes. just thinking about this dynamic in this district, 
and you talked about the union issue, but what are some of the other big issues that you think are going to play into this race? I mean, I agree Rick Zacone is, is a fairly lackluster candidate, and Connor Lamb has sort of a thing, and he's interesting, and he's, he's a, much, uh, a much more dynamic candidate, like Ali said. But what, what are some of the other kind of key issues that you think are playing into this into this race? Well, I, I think on the Democratic side, you start with this sort of baseline enthusiasm that you've seen. And I think we could say definitively it, it's not waning, it's not going anywhere, and it probably won't between you know, now and, and Election Day in, in November. And that just gives you know, a candidate like Connor Lamb, you know, I've, I've heard from Republicans in the state, they even go on his Facebook page, there's all kinds of interaction. People are, are commenting, people are volunteering, people are donating, you know, I mean, like the, the Daily Coast elections and then Citizens United, uh, which have kind of really marshaled a lot of grassroots energy and money, you know, have raised, I think between them, something like $200,000 for him. And that's, you know, a candidate running in Pennsylvania 18, $200,000 would have been like almost unimaginable <laughs> before, right? You know, much less in a, in a special election. So that's really what's kind of infused his campaign. I think the, the other issues that are really going to matter, one, does tax reform help the, the GOP and help the current political climate? You know, I mean, that's a, that's a big debate. And I think, you know, it's been interesting talking with some Democrats who I know were predicting kind of doom and gloom when the legislation passed. You know, in, in the last couple of weeks, there's been a well, but healthcare is really the issue we need right. to, we need to talk about. And 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 look, we don't we don't know the, the 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 full political fallout of this yet. But if you're the Republican perspective, all you needed to get is just a little bit better, right? If it just helps just a little bit, that could be huge. When you it's such a close, you know, it, we're right on the edge of whether or not Democrats can retake the majority. You know, so even a, a few points better in a political environment could really help. I'm also fascinated, you mentioned the ads, you know, they, they, they mentioned they play on words with Carl Lamb's uh, last name, but it was also, it was about Nancy Pelosi, right? And we saw this in, in Georgia 6, and every Republican I talked to says, you know, this is the, the, the defense, this is our big defense, this is our firewall with our majority, is that people hate Nancy Pelosi, they detest Nancy Pelosi, and we're still going to make this uh, an issue in every single race. The interesting thing with Connor Lamb, which you did not have with John Ossoff, he has said he won't support Nancy Pelosi for leadership. And so I'm really interested in his campaign and groups like the DCCC. Um, are they going to try to bring attention to that? You know, how do you, you know, it's like this interesting moment where Democrats can try, again, to continue to workshop, how do we deal with these attacks? Is it just that we ignore them because we don't think that they're really effective and we keep talking about the economy and middle class jobs and rising wages? Or do we have a specific pushback? And, and we don't know. I mean, there's only six weeks left in this race. It's, it's already kind of a sprint. But that's what I'm really interested in. And does that, the fact that he doesn't support Pelosi, does that become a, a kind of staple of his campaign and his broader message to voters? But it hasn't been yet. I mean, he I it mean, hasn't been yet. He's, his current ads say how he work with Republicans or Democrats. And he's trying to strike this very sort of independent bipartisan tone. But he has not cut an ad that says, I am not supporting Nancy Pelosi. I said I wouldn't support her. I'm not going to vote for her. So there, ha I I agree with you, and I'm pretty interested to see like how big of an issue does this become from his campaign. Well, Connor Lamb has not mentioned Nancy Pelosi by name in his ads. He did say, I think both the parties need new leadership, which mm -hmm. is an interesting way of going about it. I mean, look, I think you're right, Alex. It will be interesting to see how this plays out. But this district is also not really. Um, representative of what the battleground will look like in November. And in those battleground districts, you know, we've done a lot of polling. Paul Ryan continues to be more unpopular 
than Nancy Pelosi. CLF just put out a memo a week or two ago that had some Pelosi numbers in it. Our Ryan numbers in those districts are worse than hers everywhere. So I think, you know, it'll. It, it, this is an interesting thing that's happening right now in a very red district that Donald Trump carried by 20 points. I don't know that it plays out the same way in the fall, particularly in districts, like I said, that Ryan is actually a bigger drag than Nancy Pelosi is, despite the amount of money that's been spent to brand her. And Paul Ryan's biggest national move really was being a VP candidate um, and getting a lot of positive press for that. So I think that issue remains to be seen how that plays out when we get to November. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think, I mean, if you take a step back, look, of course, the fact that the Democrats are competitive in this race tells you what you need to know about this environment. It's difficult for the GOP. It's good for the Democratic Party. Um, you know, and, and, and we'll see. I mean, a, a win here would, you know, kind of continue the momentum that the Democratic Party had first, you know, particularly with Virginia and then, of course, with the Alabama Senate race. But I don't think a Connor Lamb defeat all of a sudden deflates the, the Democratic Party and we're talking about a radically different political environment. Well, how do you think uh, President Trump plays here? I, I think Trump is still positive. You know, I mean, to, to Ali's point, this is uh, a place he performed. I think he won by 20 points in 2016. Um, I think he's less popular now, but he's not that much less popular. There's a reason that they sent him there a couple of weeks ago, right? Uh, whether that was an official or unofficial visit from the White House, you know, politically speaking, it still behooved him to, to send Donald Trump. And I would suspect that Connor Lamb will, as much as he can, never say the words Donald Trump. You know, particularly in any ads, but I am guessing it is going to be a, a sort of broad, we need new leadership in Washington, which is where you think he would want to be, just running against the status quo, the Republicans are the party in power, but making this an election about Trump, you know, I think would, would really be tricky, and much less to say, you know, there are the questions whether some Democratic candidates will support impeachment or anything like that. Obviously, that's all completely off the table uh, with, with someone like him. And look, if, if Congressman Tim Murphy hadn't been pushed out and leading to the special election, I don't think Pennsylvania 18 would have been on anyone's radar screen as one of the top competitive races in Pennsylvania. There are a lot of other competitive races in Pennsylvania that we should talk about. But before we even get to those, we have to talk about the court case that is throwing the state into upheaval. There was a state court case on uh, partisan redistricting and the state Supreme Court has ruled that new maps need to be drawn for this election year. Um, and that the legislature needs to pass something, and Governor Wolf, a Democrat, needs to sign something by February 15th, or the courts will draw their own map. My understanding is that the Republican legislature is unlikely to send something to Governor Wolf, a Democrat, that will be acceptable to him. And so the most likely outcome of this court case is that the court will have new lines drawn and implemented. The court's already working with a map maker to do this as a plan B in case the legislature can't figure something out with the governor. This may mean that the filing deadlines and the primaries are moved back. Right now, candidates have to file by March 6th. So if you do the math, that's less than three weeks after this is supposed to be done and may not get done by February 15th. And then the primaries are scheduled to be held on May 15th. So that may very much be up in the air. What are you hearing, Alex? Well, it's, it's funny. I mean, right now it's just this upheaval. You know, I was I was texting with a, a plugged-in Republican source of mine from Pennsylvania, and I asked, well, what do you think the fallout is? And his exact words were, I have zero clue right now because we don't know what is the map. And then, you know, who, to your point, is the legislature going to draw a map? Is it going to be the court? And then what happens? You know, what, what does that map even look like after it's drawn? 
And, you know, Pennsylvania is a big state, like I said, with, with kind of two distinct regions, you know, and, and right now a lot of the focus is on the southeast in Philadelphia, which is an area that is more democratic than western Pennsylvania, but has a, a sort of majority Republican representation right now, you know, and so it really gets into these suburban Philadelphia seats, and, you know, these are races that, you know, by the numbers should be competitive, but really haven't been um, for Democrats recently, you know, and, and sort of further complicating this, you know, we, we have a congressman, Pat Meehan, um, who had his own scandal in recent weeks, uh, kind of just a, a remarkable story, the end of which is he's not going to run for re-election. <laughs> and he's not going to... I like that it's a remarkable story. It was, yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was certainly a remarkable interview that he gave <laughs> yes, the Philadelphia was, Inquirer. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, you know, the, there are people, there were some question at the legislature where to draw the maps. Were they just going to just hang him out to dry, you know, or his district out to dry and just concede that that is going to be Democratic, but try to help all the other districts, whether you're Ryan Costello in Pennsylvania 6, um, or whoever the Republican nominee is in Pennsylvania 15, where Charlie Dent uh, is also retiring, or, or for Brian Fitzpatrick in Pennsylvania 8. Um, and we don't know, but we do, it is fair to say whatever happens, it's likely this is going to help Democrats at least by a couple of seats. And, you know, focusing on those Philadelphia suburban seats for a minute. So you've got Pennsylvania 6, which is held by Ryan Costello, Pennsylvania 7, Pat Meehan's seat, and Pennsylvania 8, which is held by Brian Fitzpatrick. Not to be confused with Mike Fitzpatrick. Brother <laughs> of Congress, former Congressman Mike Fitzpatrick. And, you know, these three districts were really drawn um, so effectively for Republicans because the, the, the suburbs of Philadelphia are a pretty centrist to lean Democratic area. They all were drawn very cleverly to, to give Republicans a couple point edge in each district. I have to say, even if we weren't getting new maps because of the political environment this year, it's very possible. I mean, Democrats absolutely had a chance at all three of those districts. Absolutely. I think that the way they were drawn made them particularly susceptible to waves because it gave Republicans just enough of an edge that in a neutral environment it was hard, but in a good environment for Democrats, very winnable. All three of those districts went for Obama, and then in the in 2008, but in 12 and 16, they were all within a few point, uh, you know, within a point or two between Trump uh, and Clinton and Obama and Romney. So incredibly competitive districts. And what they look like after these new maps are drawn is really anybody's guess. Right. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned how, you know, the way that they're drawn, they're susceptible to a wave because that's exactly what happened last decade uh, to Republicans. You know, in, in 2006, the Democratic wave that year when they retook the House, you know, it, it was because they were able to win a lot of districts like Pennsylvania 7. Uh, you know, Joe Sestak um, was, was able to, to win there. Um, and Patrick Murphy in and, Pennsylvania 8. And Patrick Murphy was a, a Came up short example. in Pennsylvania 6 in 06, but right. we ended up... Jim Gerlach was a tough. He was a, tough, <laughs> he was a very was, tough candidate. And I remember, and, and I was in college at the time, and I would see his ads. Uh, and I still know that Lois Murphy has a dirty little secret that she wants to raise her taxes. Uh, so Even was, still, you think? Does she yeah. still have that secret? It might, be out, about it? it might be out in the open now. Who who knows? But um, look, and, and right, if. And they went the other way in 2010, right? right so exactly. in 2010, Republicans picked up those seats. They're, they're just very swing competitive seats. But. Right. I think it's fair to say if you had a neutral commission drawing those districts rather than all three of them, 
leaning Republican ever so slightly. They would probably lean Democratic ever so slightly, and you'd have that Philadelphia seat being not quite so Democratic, which is probably, what, 85% Democrat now? Right, right, something, something like that. That might be a low estimate, if anything. Well, uh, one of the challenges of the court was to keep counties whole, correct? Right. So, and obviously, I mean, that's very hard it's to hard. do. I mean, very, I mean, I think David Wasserman, who's been redrawing districts <laughs> on it in his free time, <laughs> um, which is um, pretty hysterical, but he came up with a Pennsylvania map, which looked like it could do that, which it created um, even uh, a way to make some of these, and I think it was six and, um, and eight, and it was before we had a seven mess maybe, but even make them a bit more Republican even, while... Uh, making a few of the others more democratic or helping out, and maybe it was PA uh, Cartwright. I guess he's in PA seventeen, 17. Yeah. democratic or something yeah. like right. that. Yes. Yeah. So, but I think that challenge of the court in keeping these counties whole will be. I mean, I think it's very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And how do you see that though playing in terms of what does that mean for these for these Philly suburban districts? Well, that's. I, I mean, I think. When the, the ruling came down, there was, a, I think, initially this kind of wave of euphoria among a lot of Democrats because, oh, you know, Pennsylvania, in their view, is one of the most heavily gerrymandered states. You know, it has 18 congressmen. It's a state that we were saying it's basically split 50-50, but there are 13 Republican congressmen, only five Democrats. Um, but when you, you do kind of crunch the numbers, as Dave Wasserman did, you know, there is something you know, think that the, maybe the seats that Democrats gain out of this is, a, you know, one or two seats as opposed to the three or four right. that some people were, were hoping for. But we, we don't, you know, we don't know. To Ali's point, even a couple of points in a place like Pennsylvania 6 can make a dramatic difference for someone like Ryan Costello. And we should say, I mean, Democrats have one of their top recruits, uh, Chrissy Houlihan, running in one of those, in, in that district, the right. kind of candidate they think, you know, she's got a real business background who can finally win that district. Uh, and after, a military background. And a military background, she's right. She's got quite a resume. Which is not uncommon for Democrats running in, in 2018. A lot of veterans. Um, you know, and and so, you know, it, it will, we're, we're going to see, but it is, you know, I mean, for as much as we talk about the political environment, and rightfully so, you know, it's, it's these sort of adjustments that can really make the, the difference if you're talking about Democrats being able to squeeze out a couple of extra seats in Pennsylvania. You have these Republican retirements, uh, which continue uh, at pace. You know, these are the, the kind of developments that you're just talking about, you know, the addition of one or two seats, but it's starting to add up for the GOP. And then when you add a difficult political environment, that's when you really start talking about why Democrats think they can retake the majority. So how do you like Democrats' chances in these three suburban seats? Obviously knowing that the maps are going to change, but given the dynamics of the, of the races now, what do, you, what do you think? I think I think Pennsylvania 7, regardless, was going to be really hard uh, for the GOP. I mean, Pat Meehan, it's hard to say. I mean, I covered when he first, I actually covered when he was running for governor first, um, and then he was running uh, for Congress. And he is like kind of like a local legend Delaware, in Delaware County. He was a DA there. You know, he is known as this upstanding guy, had a lot of support from Democrats, frankly, even Democrat professional Democratic operatives who really personally liked him, you know, which is why this story is so shocking. And without Pat Meehan, you would think that this would be a district that Democrats um, could really take advantage of. And so that that district, I don't want to say it's gone or anything like that for the GOP, but it's going to be really tough. Um, you know, the, the other two, if you're talking about Pennsylvania 6 is going to be, I think, one of the marquee races. Um, Chrissy Houlihan, like we said, is a top recruit. Ryan Costello is really well thought of by a lot of Republicans. This is the kind of seat that, you know, depending on who wins, you could think 
that that would be, you know, if I knew the outcome of the Pennsylvania six election, I might have a, I'd have a much better sense of who wins the majority, mm -hmm. whether Republicans keep it or Democrats take it in 2018. Pennsylvania eight is a little trickier to me, and, and I know talking with Democrats, you know, they went after Fitzpatrick, Mike Fitzpatrick, so hard, and weren't able to win, and then they really thought they had a chance in 2016 with his brother. Um, his brother might have benefited from just having the same last name. I know that that was a real issue for Democrats. He definitely did. He definitely, he definitely, he definitely did. And I think Democrats even tried to run ads saying that he was not that Fitzpatrick. He's not Mike Fitzpatrick. Well, I look, I mean, we found in our polling you had to tell people that they didn't mm -hmm. know, and you had to tell them that. And I mean, that it's that that race was one of my biggest disappointments of sixteen because I felt we had a really strong Democratic candidate mm -hmm. there. It was finally open, um, but you know that was. It was a district that, that Trump ended up winning by 0.2% of the vote, and Romney won it by 0.1%. Right. So, you know, this is a very, very divided district. Right. It's, it's, it's right on the line. And, you know, the question is whether, you know, Democrats can find the right candidate there. But it should be, in this environment, it should be a seat that the Democrats are not just competitive in, but really should be able to, to win in November. The thing about this race, though, with, with the Fitzpatricks, I'll call them. I mean, they were just so Bucks County. Yeah, yeah. And that, and so entrenched in Bucks County, and they just sort of reflect exactly what Bucks County is, that I think it just makes it very hard to beat. And that's why it was very hard to be, ever beat Mike, mm -hmm. and I think that's why it will continue to be very hard to beat Brian. Although, in fairness, Brian did live in Los Angeles for a long time before <laughs> returning to Bucks County, but the voters didn't listen to us on that. They, that, that, that fell on deaf ears. <laughs> I, I remember, I remember campaign, or it was actually like at a town hall with Mike Fitzpatrick in Bucks County and just being kind of in awe of how, you know, he knew everybody. He, I mean, he had been a county commissioner in right. Bucks County. He had the deep roots there. You know, he was just, everyone was coming up to him, talking to him. He could talk about local issues. It was kind of this sort of quintessential what you guys both say and both parties talk about having someone with a strong local connection who would be able to ride out, um, you know, some a, a difficult national climate. And he was able to come back even after Patrick Murphy uh, defeated him in, in 06 and then won re-election easily in 2008. He was able to come out, um, come back and win, which is not all that, not all that common. Yep. So there's another open seat in Pennsylvania. Um, Congressman Charlie Dent, long known as one of the most moderate, reasonable Republicans in the House, uh, has decided to retire. And so that leaves his 15th district open. This is a district that Obama won with 52% of the vote in 2008, but Romney carried in, in 2012, and Trump carried with 51.8% of the vote in 16. Um, but I think this is a competitive district. You know, we, we've polled there. We released public polling numbers that showed, you know, we tested just a Democrat versus Republican, a generic there. And, in a, you know, in the past, I would have expected to see this have a plus five, six, seven Republican lean. We actually showed Democrat with 44, Republican with 43. Um, this is the kind of district that I think Democrats are really focusing on that we have to win back if we want to win a majority. We have to win some of these districts, and this being an open seat in Pennsylvania is probably one of our best opportunities. And I know Democrats in the state are really pointing to this district that they think could help or could be improved for them after redistricting if it becomes, once again, mostly just a Lehigh Valley seat. Again, that's that's where I went to school. It's basically like a, an exurb of Philadelphia. And it is, you know, it's it should be moderate and battleground, and if anything, lean a little bit to the left. And Charlie Dent was almost unbeatable. 
there. You know, I mean, he was he was a genuine moderate. He gets a lot of publicity for being a moderate. Uh, you know, and I've even had Democratic operatives joke to me that if they had to vote for any Republican, they would vote for Charlie Dent. You know, I mean, he was that kind of congressman. In an open seat in a, in a more left-leaning district, if that's what happens after redistricting, it should absolutely be a, a top target uh, of Democrats. And this, this could be a seat also where, honestly, it could be very interesting because obviously there is a big field um, on the Republican side. You all have many candidates, Allie, on your side. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see what sort of candidates come out of our primaries. On these, do we get sort of a more conservative candidate? Which obviously, if we talk about Charlie Dent, was that was not his, uh, that was not in the kind of mold he was in. And Allie, do you get a more conservative Democrat? And that I think will determine what this race ends up looking like in in November. And what does Charlie Dent do? I mean, is Charlie Dent going to endorse the Republican right, nominee? Right. I mean, I, I don't right. know that that's a given, you know, and, and I wouldn't put it past I him. would agree that's not a given. That's not, <laughs> it's definitely not if a given. If you know Charlie Dent. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and does he, you know, does he endorse the Democrat? I don't know that he does that, but... Um, I don't think he would go there. I don't, he probably wouldn't go there, but, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it could be a, a really fascinating race. And the last two districts we should talk about quickly are Pennsylvania 16, where you have Congressman Lloyd Smucker, um, you know, this is more a little bit more of a stretch for Democrats. Trump has done relatively well here. He won with 51% of the vote to Hillary Clinton's 44. Obama carried it extremely narrowly in, in 2008, but not in 12. Um, and then Pennsylvania 17, where you have Democratic Congressman Matt Cartwright, one of the 12 Democrats in Congress who represent a district that Donald Trump won. Right. You know, and, and Cartwright, that is the, the Scranton seat, the center of the political universe, Scranton, uh, Pennsylvania. And it is one of the few that I think the Republicans really think that they have a chance at. Um, Trump actually won it. He won it big. It is this kind of as much like you know, Scranton's in the northeast part of the state, but it is, you know, culturally speaking, akin with the western part of the state. You know, there's a, a big coal history there. Um, you know, and that's going to be interesting whether in this difficult climate, if the sort of realignment that Trump brought to the country, if that's going to give Republicans an opportunity in a place like Pennsylvania 17. And I know we are watch, planning on watching that race closely to see if that's, that's the case. Pennsylvania 16, uh, which is in Lancaster, and I think has actually literally never been represented by a Democrat. I think it's always been, it's like yes. the one district in the country that's always <laughs> been represented by a Republican. Lancaster, uh, which is a, a, has always been a very culturally conservative, very pro-life district. Um, it seems to be one of the districts that if there, after this redistricting could become more Republican right now, I'd consider it basically like a fringe Democratic opportunity. I mean, the area is changing. It's a little bit more sort of Philly suburban, you know, the exurbs uh, right now, um, you know, slowly drifting to the left. And Democrats, even in 2016, you know, had a little bout of excitement with their their candidate who thought you know, Lloyd Smucker was a, a new, new incumbent. They thought they maybe had an opportunity there. Um, but it does seem like after redistricting is the kind of race that could, could fall off the map. Yeah, and this is one where, um, I mean, I think this is a stretch for the Democrats. And if you have to go and you're making choices between am I going to PA6 or am I going to 7, depending on what that looks like, or even 8, like this just seems like to me, when you're making financial decisions, that this one is a bit of a stretch. It's in the Philadelphia media market, exactly, too, which is yes. a little expensive. Yes, right. when you, have to, you have to send the ads to all those voters in Delaware and South Jersey, too. Right. Well, this has been great, Alex. Thank you so much for all your Pennsylvania uh, insight. And we'll be obviously closely watching the special election here in the next six weeks. 
and the map redraw as well. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on, guys. Always, always happy to talk Pennsylvania politics. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. We're going to stay in Pennsylvania for our ad of the week. The Congressional Leadership Fund just released a new ad with a play on Connor Lamb's name being part of Nancy Pelosi's flock. It's a sticky ad that describes Connor Lamb as a liberal sheep. There are lots of media types who are sick of Republican ads that are tying Democrats to Nancy Pelosi, but the bottom line is it works. Here's the ad. How do we know Connor Lamb will join Pelosi's liberal flock? He already has. Lamb joined Pelosi to oppose a middle-class tax cut, calling your tax cut crumbs. Connor Lamb, a Pelosi-following, high-taxing, big-spending liberal. We deserve better. Veteran Rick Saccone supported your tax cut. Now Pennsylvania families are receiving bonuses and raises. Rick Saccone fights hard for working families. Congressional Leadership Fund is responsible. So as I said earlier in our conversation with Alex, I think it really remains to be seen if this is a strategy Republicans can stick with through November, given that Speaker Paul Ryan is less popular than Nancy Pelosi. But maybe it will work in this very Republican district. We will see and uh, we'll continue to be watching these poll numbers. So thank you so much for joining us today for our conversation on Pennsylvania. We will be back in a few weeks with another great episode with a great guest. If you would like to follow Alex on Twitter, he can be found at Alex underscore Rorty. And that's A-L-E-X underscore R-O-A-R-T-Y. And of course, follow us on Twitter at House Talk Pod and subscribe on iTunes and give us a rating and let us know how you like the show. Thank you.